This is us. We launched a brand new series last week called This Is Us. And the premise and the purpose of the series is simply to cast vision for who we are as a local church. The reason for that is because vision leaks. In fact, the scripture says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What that verse does not say is that faith comes by having heard the word. Most of us think that if we hear it once, we've got it. But the scripture teaches us the power of repetition. And so what Paul was saying in the text is that faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So it is our responsibility from time to time to revisit the vision, the purpose for which we exist, so that you understand fully what you've bought into as a local church. It's also an opportunity for us to to revisit the DNA, the unique DNA that God has given us as a body of believers, as a body of Christ followers. So we've called this series, This Is Us. Uh, We've borrowed it from the very successful NBC show. I I don't know how many of you watched This Is Us, but it's one of our favorites. In fact, when we we recorded it on demand, uh, man, we binge watched that thing, man. I think we watched the whole first season in a matter of a few hours, compared compelling, compelling series. And and so we just thought it would be appropriate to borrow sort of that moniker because that's really the idea we want to communicate over the next several weeks. This is us. You've heard me say it here before that God can't bless who you pretend to be. So as we're communicating And as we're casting vision, what we're being crystal clear about is that we're not trying to be anybody else. We're okay with who God has created us to be. I encourage you to to begin to consider that in your own life personally. Embrace the skin you're in. Celebrate who God has created you to be uniquely. Your fingerprint is evidence of your uniqueness. There will never be another human being born or created who will walk the face of this earth who will have any of the prints that are on your finger. The scripture declares that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means when God thought of you and he created you, you were not an afterthought. That you and I were created with great intention and design. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 declares that you and I are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word translated workmanship is the Greek word poema where we get poem. That when God created you and he created me, he thought of a beautiful poem that had the right words and the right rhyme and the right meter and the right mood and, and everything about you was intentional and deliberate. Celebrate what God created when he thought of you. That is true not only individually, but it's also true corporately for us as a body of believers and as a local church. You've heard me say it here often, who you are is not for you to decide, it's for you to discover. Because who you are and who you were created to be and what you were created to accomplish is God-appointed, not self-assumed. So our part is to discover what God has already created and what God intended for us together. So this is us. This is who God has uniquely created us to be as a local church. 
And we visited the text last week to find direction and and instruction uh, for what the local church, especially ours, should look like. And so if you're following along in your notes, uh, we also have notes available on version. But if you're following along this morning or you're taking your notes, uh, uh, the, 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 our anchor text this morning is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. In the message paraphrase, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Okay, so we have it on the screens now. The screens are back up. Fantastic. And then also Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. So those scriptures will will frame uh, everything we talk about uh, this morning. Amen? Fantastic. All right. Uh, First thing I want to, where I want to begin is with this first aspect of who we are as a church. Uh, I gave you an overview last week. I shared seven things that are characteristic of who we are as a church. But I want to deep dive those seven things that I'm going to invest probably one uh, week uh, to unpack each of those seven characteristics of who we are as a church. And right at the top of the list, right at the top of the list, if we were to communicate why we exist as a church, number one, we exist as a church to be gospel-shaped. We are a gospel-shaped community of faith. You say, Pastor Ray, what does that mean? That means that everything we do individually and corporately will be shaped by the word of God. That means we value the word of God and that in our lives personally and collectively, the word of God will take the preeminence. That means the word of God informs our thoughts, our words, and our conduct. That we don't have to to wonder what we're supposed to do, that we can look to the word of God and trust the word of God to be the compass that guides our lives daily. Critically important. Now, if I were to say to you, why is it important for your life and my life to be gospel shaped? Let's go interactive here for a second, and I'm okay with that. Why do you think it's important for the life of a believer and the life of a church to be gospel shaped, to be guided by the Word of God? Anybody? For your witness? Absolutely. To be Christ-like, very good. Anyone else? Why is it important for you as a believer or for us as a body of believers to live a life that is shaped by the gospel, informed by the gospel? Anyone else? There is only one truth. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Ooh, we could hang out there for a while. We could hang out there for a while. Yes, anyone else? All great answers. All great answers. But I think one of the places I would start would be this. That the word of God reveals the will of God. And it's critically important for you and I to live lives that are shaped by the gospel. Because if we live according to the word of God, we will begin to walk in the very will of God. And we won't have to wonder, we won't have to doubt, we won't even have to question what God desires for us because the word of God reveals the very will of God. Critically important. Let me tell you why that is important in a secondary sense. It's secondarily important because you and I can't get God's results doing things our way. 
In fact, the Bible declares that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is destruction. Y'all hear that? So as a body of believers, the word of God is always going to be the compass that directs us. It's our GPS. It's our guidance system. Critically important. You heard me pray from Psalm 119 that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If you ever needed clarity and direction for your life, we can find it right here in the word of God. Yet with all these precious promises, most times we allow the word of God to collect dust. When the scripture says that God has already given us from his word everything that pertains to life and godliness. If you want to know anything about this life, about how to win in this life and how to be victorious in life, it's found right here in God's word. So when you look at Acts chapter 2, this is what you'll find about the early church. Let's begin reading at verse number 40, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. The scripture declares, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Notice this is on the day of Pentecost, and this is the day that the church was born. Peter has been commissioned with this awesome responsibility to preach the very first message that the church would ever hear. And on day one, he preaches this bold message that says, be saved from this perverse generation. Sounds a lot different than a lot of the messages we hear today. It sounds a lot different from a lot of things that we hear from pulpits where pastors tiptoe around controversial issues. Peter said it crystal clear, you live in a generation that is, uh, that is perverse and you need to be rescued from it. He said you have to come out from this perverse generation and live and walk differently. Notice the response to the gospel when it was preached. With boldness and with clarity. Verse 41 says, then those who gladly received his word. Those who gladly received his word were what? Baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Can I say this? The very fact that the text says that those who gladly received the word, you know what that infers? That there were a whole bunch of people who weren't happy with what Peter said. And that you and I could be exposed to the very same things. That the truth of God's word can make someone's heart tender and soft and pliable. Yet there are others who don't gladly receive the word who, word who will become resistant to what God is saying. And on that day, there were about 3,000 people who gladly received the absolute truth. The absolute truth of God's word. And the Bible says it didn't end there. In verse 42, this is what the early church looked like. Verse 42 declares they continued steadfastly, diligently, conscientiously, meticulously in the word of God. You know what the challenge is today for us as a gospel-shaped community of faith? Those of us who desire to live by the word of God is we have to get back into God's word. This is not Pastor Ray being critical of anyone. But if there's something that we need to get back to church is, is, is us discovering the word of God, 
which is the very will of God for ourselves. Not something that has been regurgitated by your best friend, not something that has been regurgitated by your pastor or your small group leader, that you and I must make the effort, as the early church did, to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God, and to once again allow the word of God to shape our very lives, to shape our very lives. He said, Pastor Ray, why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because of the words of Jesus from Matthew 4 and also Luke chapter 4, when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus himself, the Jesus that we follow, said the thing that will sustain us in our everyday life is the word of God. Why should we prioritize the word of God? Because it's the will of God. It's God's provision to sustain us every single day. It's God's gift to us to know his will, to know his heartbeat, to understand his purposes and his plans, not just for the church corporately, but for you individually. I want you to hear this, that there is something that many of us are seeking and grappling for and looking for, and God says it's right here in my word. If you will simply crack open the, the pages of the word, everything that you and I will ever need for life and godliness, for our decision-making, for our conduct, for our discipline, to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong is found right here in my word. It's a big, big, big deal that the discovery of all that you and I could ever become is right here in his word. When we talk about being gospel shaped, it means that we value the word of God. James chapter one and verse 22 says that man, uh, 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 be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Number two, it means that we choose to live with a biblical worldview. What is a worldview? A worldview is simply the lens or the filter through which a person views, analyzes, and interacts with God, oneself, and the world. I'll read that again because this is critically important. A worldview is simply the lens or the filter through which I, through which you view, analyze, and interact with God, oneself, and the world. So if I'm going to live the life that Jesus has imagined for me, I've got to ask myself, what's my filter? Because everyone in this room has a filter through which they process life. And God says, I've given you a fail-proof, foolproof filter, which is my word, through which you can begin to process every decision you'll ever make, every relationship you'll ever have, every agenda you'll ever have, because this word will determine what's good and what's bad. In fact, Hebrews chapter four says it will even go down to begin to discern our motives, not just our actions, but even the motives behind our actions will be tested by God's word. It's a big, big deal. I'm going somewhere with this and I'm just laying the groundwork. Why is it important to live a gospel-shaped life? 
It's important to live a gospel-shaped life because the gospel will comfort us, but it will also challenge us. The gospel will give us clarity, but it will also confront the darkness in us. And this is where I might lose about half of y'all. Because those are hard conversations that we avoid. Not only will the word of God comfort, comfort us and encourage us and strengthen us and edify us and build us up. What do we do with the word when the word of God begins to challenge and confront the things in our lives that are out of alignment with God's purpose? We, we say it here at City Church that, that God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. The woman caught in adultery, this is what he says to her. He says, where are all the people who tried to stone you? And she says, they've all left. Notice what Jesus said. He says, neither do I condemn you, but he follows it up with go and sin no more. He loved her right where he found her. She was caught in the very act of adultery and he did not condemn her. He did not judge her, but he didn't condone what she did either. And we live in a church that has difficulty trying to navigate what it means to condemn somebody and what it means to condone their actions. And at some point, we have to realize that the word of God will, will confront us or we will be confronted with the truth of God's word where it forces us to look inward and begin to make the hard decisions that we need to make in order to experience all that God has for us. I'm going somewhere with this city church. Notice in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, and this is where I'm going to land. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, this is Peter again preaching his second message. Thank you, baby. This is Peter pre preaching his second message. Notice what Peter says. He says, repent. Okay, can, I, can, I, can I pump the brakes there for a second? From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, you will find this recurring theme where God calls his people to repentance. It's not just Old Testament, it's also New Testament. If you read every single book of the Old Testament, you will find this word, repent, where the word of God began to challenge and confront the people of God and the nation of Israel, whether there was a minor prophet or a major prophet, God's word to the people was repent. When John the Baptist showed up, you know what message he preached? He preached the gospel of repentance. When Jesus showed up, he preached a gospel of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When we read the end of this book, when we read the end of this book, the words in red are the words of Jesus. And he writes to seven churches. And to each of those seven churches, he says to each, all seven of them, repent. Because the word of God doesn't only comfort us, the word of God will also confront us. But the word of God doesn't come to confront us, to condemn us. The word of God comes to confront us, to transform us. I hope you caught that. When the Old Testament prophets declared that word repent, it wasn't a word of condemnation of judgment. It was a word that was supposed to trigger Repentance, which would ultimately produce transformation, which would ultimately produce a life that is conformed to the purposes and plans of God.
Can I break it down for you? What does it mean to repent? Why would Jesus say to seven churches, repent, if it was such a bad word? Why would John the Baptist come preaching a word of repentance even before Jesus was baptized in the Jordan? Why would Jesus end the scriptures with that word, repent? Why would every single prophet who's ever recorded in the scripture bring a word of repentance? Let me tell you why. Because that word repent is not necessarily what we think. In fact, in the New Testament, that word repent is a Greek word, metaneo. And that word means to change your thinking. (laughs) From Genesis to Revelation, every time we hear that word repent, God is simply saying to his people, change the way you think. Uh, Change the way you think about me. Change the way you think about life. Change the way you think about your decisions. Change the way you think about relationships. Metaneo means to change direction. I'm sorry. It means to change my way of thinking so that I can change my direction. Because my life will never rise above my thoughts. God's invitation for the church to repent is not a judgment against the church. It's not the wrath of God or the anger of God. It's the mercy and the grace and the love of God saying, there is a way that seems right unto a man. It seems right, and you've heard me ask this question or make this statement that you and I could be sincere about what we believe and still be sincerely wrong. And the measure of what truth is is never about how sincere about what I am, about what seems right to me. God's invitation to repent is to say, consider everything about your life. Change your mind about the trajectory of your life so that you can change the direction of your life. And begin to walk side by side with me. You know what the scripture says in Amos chapter 4 and verse 4? How can two walk together except they agree? Jesus gives us this invitation to walk with him. But I can't walk with Jesus if I'm disagreeing with him. If he's saying, let's go left, and I insist that I'm going to go right, I forfeit the opportunity to walk with Jesus. He goes on in Isaiah 55 and says it this way, my thoughts, y'all, are higher than your thoughts. And the way you think about things, my way of thinking about things is better than the way you think about it. And when the word repent is used in the word of God, God is saying, hold up, city church. Hold up, my son, my daughter. I desire that you will walk with me, but in order for you to walk with me and experience intimate fellowship with me, where I share my secrets with you, just as I shared my secrets with Abraham, and Abraham was called a friend of God. Just as the scripture says that God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and said, how could I do this thing and not tell my friend Abraham. That's what God is inviting us into. Because the word of God is not only going to comfort us, but it's going to confront us. And he wants to confront the things in our hearts and our lives that are contrary to his will so that we can experience intimate fellowship with him and begin to walk with him like never before. Notice the last part of Acts chapter 3 at verse 19. He doesn't only say change the way you think so you can change your direction. He says, and be converted. Same idea. 
that your sins may be forgiven. Yes, there is mercy and there is grace that is given to us when we repent. But notice, notice what it says. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Could anybody in this room, anybody in this room, use a time of refreshing that comes only from the presence of the Lord? This is what Jesus says. This is what he's saying in essence. When he says, I want you to repent and change your way of thinking, he's challenging us to begin to consider what we forfeit, what we forfeit when we insist on doing things our way. When we insist on doing things our way and approach life the way we've always approached life, what he's saying is you are forfeiting times of refreshing that can come only from my presence. If you feel stuck in your marriage and your relationships and say, you know what, I, I, uh, my marriage needs a makeover, this is a solution right here. He says repent. Change your way of thinking about your marriage. Submit your way of thinking about marriage and relationships to my way of thinking of marriage and relationships, and guess what's going to happen automatically? Times of refreshing will come from my presence. If you don't like what's happening on your job, he says, repent. Change your way of thinking so you can change your direction and you will begin to experience the rest that you desire. You can't pray it away. You can't beg it away. There's only one way that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord and that is when we repent and admit that God, your ways are better than my ways. No matter how popular it is, no matter how comfortable it is, no matter how convenient it is, you and I don't get to experience the, the, the refreshing that God has promised. The question then becomes, is that trade-off worth it? Is it worth it doing things my way and in the process lose the opportunity to experience this? Let me tell you what that word refreshing means, just so, just so we understand. It means a cooling. It means a recovery of breath. Has that ever happened to you before? Where it seemed like life just sucked the wind out of you? You didn't even have the energy or the joy or the vitality to continue? That's what Jesus says he gives us back. Recovery of breath. I got my army guys here in the front row. You guys know what it means to, to hit muscle failure? You do so many push-ups that your whole body is shaking from your head to your tippy toes when you run out of breath? And sometimes we go through life that way and we've got nothing left and we're running on fumes and God is saying the whole time, hey, 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 I want to give you times of refreshing. I want you to recover your breath. I want you to catch your breath. I just had a flashback of waiting to exhale. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Some people in this room today are just waiting to exhale. When will my moment come when I can just let out this breath and just rest? Jesus says, that's available to you. It's available to you. If you'll just repent, change your way of thinking so that you can change your direction. He, he, he gives us the same idea in 3 John verse 2. This is the will of God. He says, beloved, I wish above all things. This is God speaking through his servant, John the beloved. To us today, 
And he says, look, my prayer, my wish above all things for God's people. He says, if I were to make a list of priorities, my, my wish list for the church, it would be this. Above all things, that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Can I stop there for a second? The expression of prosperity in my life is directly related to the prosperity of my soul. He says, even as your soul prospers, toxic soul, toxic life. Again, I will reiterate it. Your life and my life will never rise above the level of my thoughts. Right here. It's called soul prosperity. And so when God says repent, he is saying, I want you to have a prosperous soul, a healthy soul that is aligned with my word so that you can have a prosperous life. I do not get God's results doing things my way. And God says, I want you. He's a good, good father. He says, I want you to have my results in every area of your life. The requirement is soul prosperity. Your thoughts have to line up with mine. Now, can I tell you what this word prosperity means? For those of you who are against what we've called the prosperity gospel, or for those televangelists on TV who measure blessing and the favor of God by the size of house they live in and whether they have a private jet for their ministry or not, or not. You know what that word prosperity means or what it means to prosper? It means ease on your journey. You know what God desires for everybody in this room today? Is that in life, I want you to hear this because I feel the burden. I feel the burden that so many of us are carrying right now this morning. I feel that burden every time I pray for City Church. I feel it every single time. And many times I pray for you individually and your families individually. And depending on whom I'm praying for, sometimes the burden is greater or it might be even less. But God desires for each person, each family, each household in this room to have ease on their journey. I don't know who this is for, but can I just say this from the heart of God to yours? It shouldn't be this hard. And you know who you are. Look at your life. See how hard it has become. See how difficult it has become for you to even catch your breath. You go from one crisis to the next. And God is saying, I have this promise in my word that you will have ease on your journey. And the only way you and I can tap into that is through the prosperity of our soul, our way of thinking. Yet we resist the word of God and we want ease on our journey. When the word of God says repent, it says change your way of thinking. Submit your finite thinking to my infinite wisdom. And you will see that burden lift. Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28. Come unto me. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I 
will give you rest. We want the rest of God, but we're not even willing to come to him. And we go through life carrying these burdens and we're heavy laden. But I have to come to God through repentance. I have to change my way of thinking. I come to the point to say my way has produced results in my life that have sabotaged me. That have sabotaged me. And the way I experience the rest of God. The way I experience times of refreshing. Notice that word repent. Final words that are recorded that Jesus spoke in the revelation to seven churches. He told all seven of them, change the way you think so that you can experience times of refreshing in every area of your life. And this is where I close. Anybody here ever experienced regret? Let me, t- let me tell you one of the things that I don't know if it's because I'm 45 But one of the things that has become increasingly difficult for me to, and I'm just sharing my humanity with you. I'm just sharing my humanity with you. But one thing as a pastor that has become increasingly difficult for me to have patience with is people who need help, who pretend they don't. It has become increasingly frustrated to me, increasingly frustrating to me. And this is why. Because in our pretending, we forfeit times of refreshing that come only from the presence of the Lord. And you make my work as a pastor more difficult. Because I'm praying for things to happen in your life that will never happen. Because of your unwillingness to change the way you think. I can pray and fast for the next 21 days. Until you get to the point and the realization that you have to repent and change your way of thinking. Nothing changes. And I see people forfeit the promise of God. A better marriage. Better finances. Success in their career because they just hard-headed. Too proud. Ain't too proud to beg, sweet darling. I just had a moment, flashback. I've been watching too much Unsung on TV One. Come on, somebody. This is where I close. Repent. Gospel-shaped church. A church that allows the gospel to confront us. Not because God wants to condemn us, but because he wants to make us better. And and, and so let me tell you, let me tell you how this works, all right? We talked about repentance. How do I I change my way of thinking? You're just hard-headed. Can't nobody, can't nobody tell you nothing. It's always your way. To the point people have to tiptoe around you. And then it gets to the point where nobody will say anything to you. Hard-headed, hard-headed, adamant. Nobody can tell you nothing. And nothing in your life and my life will change until you come to a moment of clarity when God reveals your blind spots to you because we all got them. 
I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how many times you've been baptized and ordained. You have a blind spot that only the people around you who love you can see. We had to turn in one of our cars because of hail damage, and they gave me this brand new fancy. Uh, uh, we have an expedition, but they gave me this brand new fancy expedition, man. And I'm driving around that thing, man. That thing, you know, it helps you with your blind spots. It'll let you know when there's a car coming, even when you can't see it in your mirror, and it'll start to beep. The word of God is like that. Every time you think you're okay and you're oblivious to the things around you that could harm you, the word of God will expose your blind spots. Now, I can ignore those warnings, and I can continue to change lanes, but guess what it creates? It creates a collision that not only hurts me, but it hurts somebody in the other lane who was just going about their business. My toxicity becomes detrimental to everybody around me if I don't deal with it. So nothing happens until somebody comes to a moment of clarity when they have regret. The scripture says, godly sorrow worketh repentance. Most of us don't even get to the point where we're sorry enough about what we're, not even what we did, but what we're doing right now. Not even sorry about it. We just keep on doing it. Just keep on doing it. And people say, say hey man, pump the brakes. Your friend's telling you about it. Your spouse telling you about it. But you haven't gotten to that point where you are even, you even have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. The scripture says 2 Corinthians 7.10 will produce repentance. I don't change the way of my thinking until I get to the point where I have regret. Can I show you how this works? And I'm done. I promise you. I got to show you this and it will pick up next week. So regret is ground zero. If I'm going to change my thinking and repent so that I can have times of refreshing and God's results, I'm just going to pick a whole bunch of y'all. All my, all my young people on this second row, why don't you come? Young people, just come, come on, come on, come on. All of y'all, Benjamin from, all of y'all right here. Bam, bam. Jalen, come on, Jalen, come on. Hey, y'all, Jalen, Jalen just got accepted, man. Academic scholarship, Arizona State University. He's going to be a sun devil. Four-year Four-year academic scholarship. If y'all wondering who Jalen is, this is Jalen right here. All right, come on down. Come on down. Just, just, I, I think I need about nine of y'all. Yeah, young, young people, yes, Scots, y'all come. Samuel and, uh, yeah, come on, come on, come on. No, y'all don't stand behind each other. Just line up. Y'all being shy? Line up. You ain't shy? Okay. Just right, 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 right. Okay. I need, okay. All right, I need four, I need four right here. Yes, and I think that's enough. Yes, DJ, right on the end. Look at you all suited up, man. You look like you're ready for draft day, baby. Always, always. Come on, somebody. Uh, fabulous freshman. What did, what did they call you, fabulous? Oh, he said they called me a lot of things. I, I ain't going to talk to you. Let me talk to your mama. Let me talk to your mama. Okay, so he played varsity when he was a freshman. How many touchdowns did he score as a freshman? Ten touchdowns as a freshman. Uh, in high school. Okay, in high school. And they went to state. What are you now? About to be a junior. I'm telling you, God's raising up giants here at City Church, y'all. Uh, giants. Arizona State, 
Draft day. Hey, save me a spot in the green room, man, on draft day. Draft day. <laughs> Just save me a spot for me and my wife. Okay, so anatomy of repentance. How do I change my mind? It begins with regret. Godly sorrow produces repentance. But whenever I have regret over something I've done or something I'm doing, there is a fork in the road. That means there are divergent paths. I can go left or I can go right. Every time I'm confronted with the truth and it produces regret in me, I can go left or I can go right. Let me tell you about what happens when we go left. When I have regret and I go left, I begin to rationalize what I did. Y'all missed that. I begin to justify it. When I'm confronted with the truth and someone has an honest conversation with me, I have momentary regret. But instead of changing what I've been challenged about, I rationalize it. I justify it. And in my mind, I make it okay. So from regret, I take the next step, which is rationalization. And then I take the third step, which is what? Y'all check this out. Anybody want to guess? If I, don't, if I don't change the thing I regret about and I rationalize it, the third thing happens. What's that third thing? Anybody? It's called repetition. I will do it again. And I will do it again. And I will do it again. Because I regretted it momentarily, but I rationalized it in the moment. So I, I repeat it. The scripture says in Proverbs, a fool is like a dog. Who keeps going back to its vomit over and over again. So I have regret momentarily. Pastor Ray preached the word, man, and I just felt something in my heart. Oh, man, but everybody's doing it. Man, I've always done this. Nobody knows about it. I ain't hurting nobody. So I'm bound to repeat it. Let me tell you the last step, and I'll have you go to the other side. I'll have you, or just, just hang out with me. Just walk with me. Just walk with me. Just stay right here and be my, my preacher for a day. Just stand right here. Yes, there you go. The repetition, if it goes unchecked, the repetition, if it goes unchecked, will result in my ruin. It will result in 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 ruin. I wish I had time just to talk about how that impacts marriages. Your husband tells you, hey, man, let's, let's work on this. Your wife tells you, hey, man, let's work on this. And you rationalize why you continue to do what you do and the way you are. So you repeat the behavior and it ends in the ruin of that relationship. Uh, you can put it in the context of anything. 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 Oh, let me, let me, let me, let me ease it a little bit. <clears throat> you go to your doctor, Pastor Ray, and he says, Pastor Ray, your cholesterol is too high. And I rationalize it and I say, hey, man, I'm from Liberia, and it's, <laughs> I got some of my Liberian peeps in the house. And, and that's just our diet because we eat a lot of saturated fats from palm oil. And so it's just genetic, and I inherited it from my dad. So I'm going to rationalize it and say, that's just the kind of food I like to eat. And I continue to eat that food repetition. And then people say, oh, Pastor Ray loved God so much. 
Why did he let him have that heart attack? God forbid. So I've made the decisions that I need to make for my heart health because I had to repent about my dietary choices. I had to change my way of thinking so it wouldn't end with ruin. Okay? I promise y'all this is where I'm going to wrap it up. So there's two paths. Regret. You're confronted with the word. You can rationalize it. Or, I think I need you over here. Move down. Do the electric slide down that way, bro. And then you come here. Because you're the only girl with us here. So I'll give you a, are you nervous? Okay, okay. So, so, so rationalization is I justify it. Or, or, or when I feel regret, godly sorrow that produces repentance, I can take responsibility. I rationalize it, justify it, or I can take responsibility and own my part in the problem. So when I have regret, I take responsibility, I own my part, then repentance can happen. Then repentance can happen. Then I can begin to change my way of thinking so I can change my direction. The next thing that happens when I repent is simply this. And then I'm going to let y'all sit down. Ooh, next week is going to be fire. <laughs> Do not miss next. It's going to be it's fire. Uh, what did I say? Where am I? Where's my stuff? Okay. Okay, so, so yes, 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 yes. So who is this? Responsibility. I take ownership. We're going to talk about all of this next week. It's going to be off the chain. Responsibility and then repentance. And then I start to see results. I start to see results of my repentance. I start to experience times of refreshing. My relationships get better. My, my finances get better. My marriage gets better because I repent. I change my mind. I start to see different results. And, 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 and after the results, there's this thing called resolution that happens. Resolution. The things that you've struggled with for years are resolved. They're resolved. The pain goes away. The problem goes away. And then you experience times of refreshing. Let me tell you what's at stake, City Church, if we don't do what the early church did and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We will be a church that is filled with people who are burdened down, overwhelmed, overworked, frustrated, unfulfilled when the scripture says you and I can experience times of refreshing that come only from the presence of the Lord. There's a guy that I'm going to see that we've had. Anyway, let me go down that road. Let me not even go down that road. Let me not even go down that road. The scripture says, if today you hear God's word, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. Because God wants City Church on this side of the equation, not on that side. Let me pray for you. You guys may be seated. No, stay, stay right there. Stay right there. Stay right there. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father.
I come to you in Jesus' name.